Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 116. From the hay bales of Kansas to the mountaintops of New Hampshire, Craig Cushman, Hunter Specialties. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Grant Woods from Growing Deer TV. You're listening to one of my favorite deer hunting podcasts on the internet. The Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey there, this is Brandon Grendel with Buck 50. And you're about to listen to another amazing deer hunting podcast with Jay and Dusty on the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hi, this is Carl Drake, pro staffer with Realtree Outdoors. And this is Adam Vinatieri with the Indianapolis Colts. And you're listening to our favorite deer hunting podcast, the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips. There he is, the man, the legend. What's up, Dusty? Oh man, just uh, getting getting my mind right. That that's all. Just getting getting things organized, getting things prepped, uh, doing some fine tuning on the archery equipment, mm-hmm. just getting, getting stuff laid out, and trying to get myself jazzed up, pumped up, and amped up about season kicking off here in about a week. Yeah, well, we're we're in it now, and it's uh, the, the problem with being in it this early is that sometimes you get those hot ends of the summer because technically we're still in summer. Right, It absolutely. hasn't turned yet, right? So it's still like 80-something degrees during the day. And until that kind of changes, I just don't feel like it's hunting season, even though, I mean, it's on my mind, especially in the morning and the evening. Jay, stop. I, I don't need excuses, dude. There's get no excuses. Get the tree stand. You got to get out. Absolutely. You got to go, man. But do you, temps, you got to go. But do you agree? Uh, maybe maybe i don't know man i'm so you're a heat hunter you don't care the only thing i care about is meat storage like when it gets hot that's well that's my concern right i I agree i I agree to that part of it but man there's opportunity to to shoot some pattern bucks right now it's unbelievable that that is true my only concern is i don't have a freezer big enough all right i agree to that gotta process it like day one you know and and another thing that that i I don't know. I play this a little differently most. Like if I'm going to shoot a meat dough, like, you know, a nice mature dough that I'm going to put in the freezer. Yep. I like to wait till like the second frost. Hmm. Does that make sense? That does make sense to me. Seems like it, it you know, eliminates some of the ticks, fleas, you know, parasites, eh, just that second frost, third frost. Right. When the temperatures are cold enough where may, maybe, the, I don't know, maybe it's just a mental thing for me. But uh, I definitely consider that. that that's something, but... You know, shooting a big buck, it, I don't know. If he, if he makes a walk by and it's warm out, do it. I'm, I'm going to drive and find a cooler somewhere. All right. I'm with you. Maybe I should just change my, my thought on that completely. You know, you can always you can always buy a bag enough bags of ice to keep a deer overnight. Right. That's, that's true. So if you're walking down the aisle at your favorite retail outdoor sporting goods place, 
you've undoubtedly seen the brand name Hunter's Specialty. Have you not? Absolutely. It's everywhere. In fact, I bet if you look around your house right now or in your your hunting bag or bins or wherever you store your, your gear, I bet you'll find something that has the Hunter's Specialty logo on it. Absolutely. I, I think that's pretty common for most hunters. It is. And I thought it would be interesting to talk to somebody that knew that knows more about Hunter's Specialty than probably any, almost anybody on the planet. He's the marketing director, Hunter's Specialties, is Craig Cushman. Turns out Craig actually lives in my home state of New Hampshire and works for Hunter Specialties in the Midwest, but he went to school in New Hampshire and has hunted the mountains that I hunt and have hunted and have driven by many times. And now he's not only hunting the areas in New Hampshire that I'm familiar with, but he's also got a transitional hunt where he can hunt the hay bales in Kansas in the Midwest, which is completely different than hunting in New Hampshire, yet he gets to cover it all because he's Craig Cushman. So Absolutely. I thought it'd be really interesting to get him on to tell us about the contrasts of, of hunting the hills and mountains of New Hampshire versus the flats and the fields of Kansas and we're, learning more about Hunter Specialty at the same time. I think we're in for an awesome story, Jay. Yes. Uh, fantastic storyteller. Craig Cushman from Hunter Specialties is about to join us. Craig Cushman, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. What's happening, man? Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. We're psyched. So, you know, I'm cruising Facebook, Craig, and Mm -hmm. I see that there's this this guy that's hanging out with Gordon Whittington, (laughs) who's a good buddy of ours. Yeah, uh, was a guest on our show, uh, and uh, I just talked to Gordon the other day, um, and I see him hang. I see you hanging out with him. I'm like, who is this guy, Craig? What's he doing with my buddy Gordon? And you're holding some massive antler, of course, as I was. I would expect you to do if you're hanging out with Gordon. Yeah. And sure, lo and behold, you're in New Hampshire. You're, you're you're you live in the same state that I do. It's like that's amazing. And then it gets better. Yeah, and it's a, yeah, and it's a small state too. So you usually know a lot of people in the state. So I'm surprised we haven't crossed paths. Exactly, and uh, you 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 live in the same place that I kind of work, and you know, and the same kind of thing happened uh, with Greg Ritz over at Huntmasters. We had the same kind of experience with with Greg. So I'm, I'm always amazed at how many people yep. I find here in New Hampshire that have some kind of a hunting background. And then on top of that, you represent one of the most well-known, recognized brands of hunting apparel and, and, and stuff uh, that I've ever seen called Hunter Specialties. And I was like, I got to have Craig on my show. Well, well, thank you. I appreciate you following up too. Um, yeah, going back to Gordon real quick, uh, you're not going to find a better guy. And if you guys have interviewed him, you, you know how open and excited he is about about whitetails and, and big whitetails especially. And and, and as a person, I, I just love Gordon. He is he is as salt of the earth as you can get. So I happen to be doing a media swing down through um, the Georgia area, and, and they're they're based out of Marietta. And I had to swing in and, and see those guys. And it's always good to see him. And and uh, he's been good to me. I've known Gordon now for for quite a long time, and and uh, I enjoy the time I get to spend with him. Yeah, I um I I, I totally enjoyed the the hour that we got to talk to him. And, you know, I, I literally picked up the phone the other day because um, I'm interested in, in talking to 
Mel Johnson, and I wasn't sure if he was still around, and I figured if anybody would know, it would be Gordon. So yeah. he uh, kind of filled me in on what he knew, and it was just a casual, you know, Sunday afternoon conversation. It was great. So yeah, it was terrific. Guy. Yeah, great guy, just an amazing guy. So Craig, yeah, how, but- how does one get into being the marketing director for Hunter Specialties? Well, you know, this is this is one of my my more recent ventures um in it my my love of the outdoors and it goes way back uh, in new hampshire roots as you mentioned jay and yeah. and um went to school at, at plymouth state with a marketing degree and, and get out of there and that afforded me to for the, for the listeners that don't know plymouth state college is a, a college up in the mountains white mountains of new hampshire so you literally have some of the best uh you know fishing and and hunting in the state and and uh, and a great school to boot. So um, I probably spent more time hunting and fishing than I than I should have, and and uh, took me a little longer to get out of school. And I get <laughs> chided by my parents all the time on, on that one. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but realistically, at that point in my life, I knew what I wanted to do. I I just I just love hunting and fishing, and and I loved marketing and advertising, and and that's that's really what I wanted to to marry. Um, and and so I set about working in the in the outdoor world and have a long career with great brands like Ray Marine. Um, you know, literally Ray Marine on the electronics, Marine Electronics side, um, got with them when they were still owned by Raytheon and, and became the global marketing manager for that company. Um, when that company was sold, had a very fortunate uh, meeting with um, the owners of Garmin um, in the fledgling years of Garmin, sure. actually Gary Burrell and, and Dr. Min Cow, and, and uh, um, they asked me to come to Kansas and help them um, get into the marine market. So I had this 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 awesome opportunity to go from New Hampshire to Kansas, which as a as a bow hunter just fired me up. Forget the fact that I was getting to go work for a great company like Garmin. Uh, I, I was going to live in Kansas, Big Buck Central, you know. Yeah. Oh, heck and yeah. Um, yeah, rode rode that rocket ship at Garmin, you know, just uh, in the early two thousands as it just grew and exploded, and and it was it was very cool. Um, you know, my 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 family and my my heart uh, brought me back and brought us back to New England and back to New Hampshire, um, where I had opportunity. You mentioned Greg Ritz. That's funny. Uh, yeah. I, I went in and, and became uh, the director of marketing for Thompson Center. Oh wow! Uh, no over, kidding. Over in Rochester, when when Greg had sold it to Smith and Wesson, where it now resides, and right. had a, a, a great run with with that brand and, and working for Smith and Wesson. Um, unfortunately, during the transition of of going from New Hampshire to Massachusetts, um, but nonetheless, what an awesome awesome brand! And as a New Hampshire kid, to to have grown up using Thompson Center and, and then have the opportunity to to really drive the marketing for a brand like that? Are you kidding me? Um, I literally, literally was doing backflips when I when I got that job. It was just terrific. Um, through a couple turns of events, I've I uh, I went over to to um, Ruger and yep. it did development work for Ruger for for a few years. And what a spectacular company! Um, certainly, New Hampshire plant. Uh, you know they've got several plants around the country, but can you think of a better couple of brands and Thompson Center and and Ruger to work in and learn from? In the outdoor world, uh, I can't. You know, very, very few. I'd be doing backflips awesome, too. That's awesome. fantastic. Yeah. So I've I've been very fortunate, and and it's funny. Um, 
you know, you mentioned, you asked, how do, how do you end up at a, at a great brand like, like Hunter's Specialties? Um, while I was at Ruger, I, I was not in the market for a job. I was very happy doing what I was doing. And, and again, what a terrific company and great products to, to be working with. Um, I got this call out of the blue about this company in the Midwest, and they kind of wouldn't tell me who it is. And and um, they said, listen, this is a company that's got brand new owners that have come in. Uh, you know the company, you know the brand, but these new owners, they're going to they're gonna really, you know, turn the dial to 11 and uh, and change this company. And, and they're looking for really experienced outdoors marketing sales management team that can come in here and change this company. And, you know, as you, as you do, guys, you know, you have those discussions with your family and, and you just say, boy, this is an opportunity. You can't I can't pass up. Right. When I found out it was Hunter Specialties, uh, you know, I knew some of the background on, on the company and, and where they had how they had developed and, and things like that. And when I look in my own backpack for, for hunting, you know, there's a high percentage of the products that are in there are hunter specialties products. Right. Not, not because I had some affinity for HS. It was, it was just that they were the products that I could count on, rely on. And, and, uh, and therefore I, I tended to buy a higher percentage of them. So man, I, as a marketer and as a brand guy, and then ultimately as a passionate outdoorsman, hunter and fisherman, you know, when you find a combination of, of those three things, right? Great brand, great products feeds my passion. And the fourth element being fueled by a, you know, an investment company that really wants to restore the, the glory of the brand. Boy, I couldn't pass that up. I couldn't. That's amazing. Yeah. And to, to think about, you know, Hunter Specialties, it truly is one of those brands that's just kind of always there. It's always in the background somehow, no matter what. And if I looked around my house, I would find the soap <laughs> in my bathroom. I would find the spray in about four of my packs that I use for different things for whatever reason. You know, mm -hmm. my fanny pack, if I'm, you know, just doing a quick walk or if I'm uh, hiking it all day long, there's another spray of some sort in there. Uh, there's sure. the 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 uh, some of the the tree markers to find your way to your tree stand in the dark. I'm sure that was a hunter specialty yeah. item. Um, it just seems like there's an endless supply of just things that you need every, as an everyday hunter that HS has developed and. There's always a, a a line somewhere in Walmart if you go in there or any other mm -hmm. large retailer carries this stuff if it's has to do with the outdoors. Cra crazy you say right. that, Jay. I'm actually sitting here looking at a bottle of Sinaway Max. Yes. Right. And a refill bottle, <laughs> 32 ouncer, sitting right beside it. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, right? It's just always around somewhere. Yeah. You can Absolutely. look around your house. It's just yeah. there's just a bottle of HS somewhere. So, and and I can remember going way back, like some of my earliest days of getting, and I, I not necessarily the earliest days of hunting, but the earliest days of hunting seriously. Um, I can remember having making my dad spray down because he was just he was never a a scent guy. I was like, no, you got to spray down, Dad. Yep. You know, that kind of thing. It was an HS product. So uh, what's the, I mean, and that was years ago. So what's the development of, of, of HS? Where, who are they? Where are they from? What's the, you know, where did, when did they begin this whole process? Sure, sure. It, it, you know, it's, it's one of those, one of those great stories. Um, and, and we're, we're 
writing a happy ending, I think, is what we're trying to do here. Is, is so, so Dave and, and Carmen Forbes started the company in 1977. And, uh, you know, they, they had ideas for products. I mean, quite literally, you know, uh, duck decoys and things like that made out of made out of plastic bottles and just some some really you know by today's standards you say it's a super rudimentary ideas for products and um you know they they just started out building these things themselves and uh things came along like uh like camo face paint right the camo right. compact product right. sure. that they that they developed you know, before before it was cool and and everybody was doing it right, and they just through 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 you know hard work, determination, understanding of the hunter, um, and some ingenuity, you know, started to develop this product line that that consisted of of um, really really good products hunters could rely on, and um, boy, I'll, I'll I'll tell you, you know, from seventy seven to two thousand seven, let's say you know, or even through 97, you, they could do no wrong. Um, if you think about the landscape of accessory companies today, none of them really existed back then or very, very few, I should say. So everything that David and Carmen did with Hunter Specialties or HS Strut, um, you know, the Turkey brand, sure. man, just, just was, was spectacular. And I think they really gained that, that, um, you know, that trust of the hunter, if you will, for good, solid performing products. Um, when scent elimination started to come in, you know, that sent away products and, and, uh, you know, just think of all the crazy products, the butt out. I mean, you know, we saw zillions of those things. Yeah. Ridiculous, right. ridiculous product. <laughs> if, if you stop and think about it, but it's the most useful, ridiculous thing you've ever, you've ever put in your pack and, and count on. So, they they just really did a terrific terrific job for decades um, building the brand uh, and and having you know uh, giving hunters a, a real reason to have an affinity for the brand um, you know as companies do they 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 go through ups they go through downs as we got into the two thousands you started to see a lot of other companies start to um, uh, creep, creep in, you know, the generalist uh, typically in business, as you guys know, you know, the generalist usually gets picked away at by the specialist, right? Right. Um, about any category, you can find examples of that. And there were no exceptions here with HS. So I think that, you know, the tides turned for them and, and they, they really, uh, it kind of lost its steam and, um, Went through some tough, tough times, you know, 2009 to 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 right up to you know 2014, and um, that's when you know this this investment group that purchased it um, out of Texas, they looked at this brand or the family of brands because if you think about the company for a second, it's not just HS, it's not just HS Strut. You've got Johnny Stewart Game Calls in there. Okay. You've got Wayne Carlton Elk Calls. If you're if you're an elk hunter and you grew up elk hunting wayne carlton is the man so the wayne carlton brand of elk calls is 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 just terrific um and and you've got now you know we've added a, the buck bomb brand on onto the onto it so it's this oh wow okay. great, great family of of just really awesome products for the specialist hunter um that you know, Peak Rock looked at and said, gosh, you know, with with the right management in there and, and really 
getting best business practices going in there. This is a company that that we can really turn around. So, um, you know, just at the first of the year, um, they they brought me in uh, to to take over the marketing end of of the company, and they bought it brought in some just terrific talented people. Uh, John Troll, a gentleman that's been senior. Uh, positions and in VP positions, uh, general management positions at Remington, running Remington plants and, and, uh, you know, just knowledge that, that you've got to have in the outdoor industry to really understand how to do business in the outdoor industry. Outdoor industry isn't like con- typical consumer packaged goods. It's different. It's got different players. It's very political. It's old, old school network. So if you don't know that coming into it, you're not going to do well. Peak Rock recognized that, and they wanted the best guys they could get. Hmm. So John Troll is doing an awesome job. Um, Scott Thomas. Scott Thomas came in to direct our, our as our VP of new product development. Comes out of um, Berkeley, Pure Fishing. Names that I'm sure you guys are familiar with on the fishing side. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So awesome products, awesome tools, and things like that that, that Scott developed for them. Now he's got a team of folks here doing the same thing for HS. Um, and, and the, the list really goes on and on of, of guys that are, that are seasoned, uh, veterans of the outdoor industry that, that I, I'll tell you, I've worked with a lot of very, very talented people. I've never worked with a more committed, uh, fun group of guys, um, than, than this group. And, uh, what makes us fun is that we are all diehard hunters. Interesting. Um, and, and you've got to have that passion to really drive a brand, um, so, so lots of big changes happening, lots of big, big changes, you know, there, I, from a marketing standpoint, we, you know, we had to do some soul searching as to what is hunter specialties? What, what are we, what, what is the, what does the average hunter think we are? And we did a whole bunch of studies on that and tried to figure that out and then really asked ourselves, what do we want to be to the hunter? Right. So if you've watched any of the recent television commercials that are running, any of the print ads that are running for HS, You'll see this little tagline in there that says serious hunting tools. Right. Right. Three words, three words, serious hunting tools. It really, in its most simplistic form, it, it, it tells you what HS is. We're not going to get gimmicky going forward. We're not going to be into gimmicks. Um, we're not going to do cheap and cheerful. That's not our, that's not our thing. Okay. We're going to continue to develop and design products that, serious hunters can count on. So when we look at a new product and developing a new product for this brand, we, we say, well, is it a serious hunting tool? Or is that idea, does that live up to the to the brand promise of serious hunting tool? And, um, you know, when you look at all the brands that are out there in our space of, of uh, accessories, we want to be the adult in the room. We, you know, we're, we're like I said, we're not going to make products that look like they come out of a Happy Meal. Um, that's not our thing. We want the guy who wants the best product in that category, and and that's that's our customer right there. Gotcha. So good fun, man. Great great guys. Unbelievable amount of product development going on. The the marketing from my standpoint, I'm a kid in a candy store. Um, and and <laughs> man, just good things happening for Hunter Specialties. Really really excited about it. Okay. So what what's a day in the life of working for Hunter Specialties? So. You know, you you gotta go. You gotta go into the office, right? And is it a bunch of, of guys dressed in camouflage driving pickup trucks, or is this a suit kind of atmosphere? What are we talking about here? 
<clears throat> well, <laughs> great question. If you find if you find a, a somebody come in with a tie on, they will be they will be chastised and probably have their tie cut off, probably um, <laughs> extracted from the building. Yeah, that that's that's right. No, uh, very very laid back. It wasn't wasn't always that way. It was it was it wasn't always a policy. Uh, under our policy, we're, we're listen. You know, our policy, guys. We want you to we want you to be as comfortable and wear what you whatever you want. No, do people show up in camo? Mm, I do on the weekends when I go into work, okay. <laughs> but, not, but not during the week. Really relaxed, blue jeans, boots, and and, uh, and we don't care what you wear. We just we we care about moving the company forward. Um, right now, very long days. You know, I walked in that building this morning at six fifteen. I walked into my home here. Uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes before we started this call, which was eight o'clock my time. Those are long days. That's the yeah. kind of heavy lifting that we're doing as a team to turn this this company around. And and I wasn't the last one to leave tonight. Okay. No so it gives you some idea of the sort of the dedication that that this team has to to moving the company forward. It's it like I said, very very uh, incredibly motivating bunch of guys to be around. Gotcha. Now you mm-hmm. mentioned that the the specialists are have been nitpicking at the generalist here for a while, yeah. and the hunter specialties would be considered a generalist um, based off of what you said. Sure. What what who are the, the who are the competitors? I mean, what is it that they're picking away at, and and how do you beat that? Well, I think that I think that um, when you look at let's go back historically, not not necessarily today, but let's go back, let's say ten years ago. Okay, so you had. Oh, let's just take scent elimination, for example. You, you know, you had a scent away product. Um, you might have had a couple of other products, right? There yep. was only, right? So now you look at the shelf today and you've got scent away and you've got dead down wind and you've got a, a, a scent freak, control freak from, from Primos. You've got... Um, uh, you know, scent killer gold. So you've got all now, gosh, any retailer can have his pick of eight or 10 different brands of scent elimination spray. When you're the generalist, you know, you, you've got a limited amount of, of advertising and marketing dollars. And we'd all love to dump, you know, all of them into, you know, one product line and drive that and, and it'd be great, but, but you really can't. So as a, as a company, a generalist company does just that. They tend to spread their advertising dollars over more products than they should. And then, so okay. you get specialists, you get a specialist that comes up and that specialist has a new formula or has a new technology or has a new advantage. And all they have to do is focus on that. That's all they got. Gotcha. So they gain traction. Yep. And, and they chip away at the generalist because the generalist is trying to keep his eye on, you know, 400, 800 SKUs or, you know, products. And that specialist only has to worry about his little piece of the market. Right. So your second part of your question is how do you combat that? Yeah. You need more money. Honestly, hmm. you need more money. Um, you, you need um, more money for more R&D so that you keep products moving forward. You know, we don't rest with sent away. Um, the sent away evolved into sent away max two years ago. It'll evolve into something else as new technologies and new R and D delivers us better product for, for hunters. Okay. Um, so 
<clears throat> you move you, you, that that's one way to do it the other way to do it is is in addition to that gosh you need the money to be advertising things you gotta you gotta drive a brand you know very very few brands can can ever survive without having some sort of a mar- marketing push behind them definitely right and i think that's in, in the past you know in, in in recent years with hs i think that's that's really where they struggled is having that critical mass of dollars to do both you could do one or the other, but you couldn't do both. You right. couldn't fund R&D and do all the marketing you needed to do to fend off specialists. Right. So, you know, I, I happen to be, you know, in the enviable position to, to be working for a company that, that has both um, and, and, a, and a, uh, you know, an investment team working with us that, that understands that growth comes from innovation and, uh, and we're driving that innovation every day. That sounds like it's, I mean, it sounds, you know, uh, fulfilling when there's success, but it seems like it's a lot of work and it could be stressful, especially coming out of, you know, the, the economy that we went through recently to the, the lack of dollar that's available to fund your marketing and your product development. That's got to be a little stressful. And is that, is that kind of where, did that have an effect on the company to the point where it was it was really a struggle and this is what you're trying to turn around or is there something else at play? No, you know, that 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 does take a toll on a company um, because you start to make, you know, again, I'm going back five or seven years when when maybe the economy took a downturn and, and market shares started to slip and things like that. Again, it's 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 very common um, in a business for for that to happen. But once that starts to happen and, and the dollars aren't there to do, like I just said, you know, either the marketing or the R&D or the or whatever it is, you, you start to make decisions, business decisions based on dollars and savings um, versus investing dollars. Right. 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 So, uh, you know, um, here, here's the weird thing is in a, in a marketing role as vice president of marketing for any company, I can save the company right into bankruptcy. Right. 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 For a second. Right. If I'm not spending money, if I'm trying to save and conserve and, Oh gosh, you know, then I'm not driving it forward and and we're going to end up going, going down. So, so there was a little of that going on and they were really trying to protect their, their core and, and their employees. They did a very good job trying to protect their employees and keep people employed. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a tough, tough slope to, to, to get up. Right. Uh, once you've started, once you started at it. So, you know, really, you know, for, for the, the sake of the company, the best thing to do at that point for the owners at that, at that point was to turn around and sell it, sell it to save it. Um, and when you've got a, you know, a great group like, like Peak Rock that we work with, these guys get it. They're all about investing, and and so they want to squirt dollars and you know on every fire they can see just to just to get things going in the marketing side, on the R and D side, and the um, on the operations side, um, and uh, and that's what they're doing. It's awesome. It really is awesome. That's very cool. So, how big is the R and D department? Do you have a department? In in what are they? I mean, without giving away the farm. Uh, yep. What types of things are you working on? <laughs> well, I can't tell you the things that we're that we're working on. That that I, all I can say on that is cool stuff. <laughs> cool, cool stuff that you'll want, Jay. <laughs> cool. All right. 
I'll take one of each. There right. you go. No, no, you know, just, just trust me on this, you know, just very, very cool things. Um, R and D in this world is, is, is pretty awesome. Um, in the sense that who better to come up with killer products than the guys that use them. Right. Absolutely. And if you, and, and, but you can't think that, all right, so let's go buy, let's go hire a bunch of egghead engineers that are also bow hunters and, and completely get it. And these guys are going to whip up awesome things. Sure. You do that. We've done that. Um, and they're, they've got some great ideas, but you'd be amazed at how many really, really cool ideas, um, come to us from the outside guys that in their shop have come up with this whiz bang new gizmo that they don't know how to market it. Right. They don't know how to sell it. They don't even know how much it costs to make and they bring it to you and they go, well, I think this is pretty cool. What do you guys think? And, and in the short time that I've been here, I've been in a couple of, Oh wow. Meetings mm. like that is just spectacular. Um, now, they can be spectacular and unmanufacturable. Right. <laughs> um, you've got to weed through those. So, but 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 what you're trying to do is you're you're trying to foster those ideas out from from the outside, and you're trying to develop a team internally that can develop their own products, but also that that product that the guy just brought in the front door. He they can look at and say. Geez, we know how to make this. We know the we know the right, right plastics manufacturer to make this, or or whatever the the task might be, right? And really take that guy's dream, turn it into a product, and and go out and and sell it. Um, and the you know the guy that walked in the door is is set for life. Right. <laughs> that's that's a cool thing. There are so many good ideas out there. Mm-hmm. I've had a bunch come across my desk. Yeah, I wonder where they come from, Jay. <laughs> right, mostly my my buddy Dusty over here. He'll- yeah, Jay, I I won't get into the details, but I was just I was just back in New Hampshire recently, and um, had a mutual mutual friend hook me up with a, a, a an in, an inventor. I won't say, you know, a, a guy that just has a shop, has a gun shop, and he was trying to solve the problem of some of his shooters that were coming in, yep. and and some of the ladies that were having problems shooting and he said can i run this by you can you can you just give me an objective kind of opinion on it and i looked at this product and it was absolutely spectacularly simple and it solved the problem right how 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 much better can you can you get than that so you know we we run into that all the time and uh, nothing would make me happier than to turn that product into a very successful product that he you know makes tons of money on and HS benefits from that's great. That's that's a win win win. That's all the way around. Love it. That's uh, that sounds very American to me. I, I agree. I absolutely agree. I love that. So, all right. So, Craig, you're a big deer hunting passion guy. I mean, you love deer hunting. Yep. Like yep. Like us. Absolutely. Let's talk some deer hunting a little bit. I'm in. So, back in the days of Plymouth State. <laughs> Where did you hunt? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to get into telling my hunting stories and Absolutely. giving all my spots. No. No, I don't want I don't want GPS coordinates. But so you you're in college, you you're roaming around the, the woods in New yep. Hampshire. You're you're growing your hunting foundation mentally um and and making this a career eventually for, for after you graduated. So yep. what uh what, what were your styles? I mean, what when you actually were out hunting? 
I know those mountains. They're not yep. they're not friendly mountains all the time. What right. what kind of um, what's your hunting philosophy and what what's your style? I mean, what's your favorite style of hunting? Absolutely. So so to answer the first question, uh, I will tell you this: I, I hunted the Ossipes a lot, Ossipe Mountains a lot. Yep. With the philosophy that that big deer come off the top third of the mountain. Okay. Yep. And the deer biologists in the in the state looked me dead in the eyes and want to kill a big deer, go to the top third of a mountain. Hmm. Okay. That guy's telling me that I'm going there. And as a young guy, as a young college guy, I could actually make it up to the top third of a mountain. I was going to say, yeah, you know, that was, I, I, if I got that message when I was in college, I'd be there within minutes, you know, today, not so much. And, and, and you know what, um, through, through, uh, my college years, I was, I was pretty darn successful in doing that. Um, as you know, in New Hampshire, Dusty, you may not know this being a Midwest guy, but, um, you know, the deer density in New Hampshire is, is just really, really low. So if you're going to go sit in a tree, you're going to waste an awful lot of time looking at empty woods. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing that, Craig. So, yeah. yeah. And so it's for it's foreign to a lot of our, our, our Midwest brethren, right? I mean, that, that they just, you go and you see deer. Well, in New Hampshire, you don't, you got to go find deer. And so, so I, I would do that. And, and I would hunt the wind a lot. I would still hunt. Um, it would take me hours to go, you know, 400, 500 yards, but in the right area, that's the kind of pace you want to be on. And I'd, I'd kill deer every year. Interestingly enough, my college roommates at Plymouth, Four guys that I hunt with still today. Um, one of those other guys is a is a, a uh, an executive in in the outdoor market as well for another company. Hmm. Um, and and we still go up to Rangeley, Maine, and bird hunt every year. Um, it's great a great bond. We would we would catch white perch in the winter through the ice, and somebody would have shot a deer in the fall, and so we actually lived on venison and white perch all winter long while we were at college. <laughs> That's um, excellent. Yeah, That's no, true, true, true story. Not embellishing. We did, and we we fed a lot of venison to to rich kids from New York who thought they'd never eat it, and today uh, still hunt with us. We went we converted them from not wanting to hunt to still be, uh, being lifelong hunters. Um, so that that was kind of cool as well. That's really my cool. style, my favorite style, Jay. Yeah, dude, I love, I love to get on small woodlot um, whitetails, and in the northeast between uh, housing developments. Sounds crazy, right? Yeah. Okay, I need to hear more about that. Tell me about that some more. So you know, I grew up in southern New Hampshire, and when I grew up, it was all farm country. Right. And as as right. did mo- most of that area, it started to grow up, and people have a picture of of New Hampshire as as being you know, oh, you're in the Northeast. It's got to be crazy crowded and everything. It's, it's really not. It's, there's, there's, I had, I had five bear in my backyard last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, but there's these great pieces of woods, five, six, 10, 12 acre chunks of woods that are between, um, you know, housing developments and they're, they become funnel areas for deer. And, you know, today's modern bow hunter with some trail cameras and multiple stand sets for wind and things like that can slip into these little areas and really shoot some spectacular deer. Really, really some great deer. Um, I've got a friend of mine in southern New Hampshire who sends me just trail cam pictures of deer that, that Dusty, if I showed them to you, you'd say, no way, that's an Ohio deer. 
um, but they're New Hampshire deer and they live in between housing developments, so not on the top. These particular ones aren't in the top third of, of mountains. <laughs> I was going to say that. Yeah. They're being eating Mrs. Smith's, you know, rhododendrons. Right. Right. So um, ex- explain, explain to that. What, what makes these deer hang in them areas in New Hampshire? Well, it's, it's, um, it's food source. You got to remember in that part of the world, you know, we don't necessarily have, you know, soybean farms, cornfields and things like that. Occasionally you'll have a, an apple orchard, but a deer like that can get into, into yards and areas where, where there are um, good things to eat. All right. They're, they're protected. They smell people all day long. They hear people and dogs and everything all day long. So they tend to not be jumpy. So what I what I've done is is I'll I'll employ you know really super uh, you know hyper um, OCD like scent elimination to my clothes and to my body. Um, you know I'll wash all my clothes. I will I'll put the earth scent in with in with them in a scent proof bag until I'm ready to go hunt. Of course you know wash down whatever, play the wind and get in there. And it's okay if a deer smells you. You just want them to think that you're 400 yards away, 500 yards away, not 25 yards away. Interesting. And, I haven't heard and, that yet. Um, that's, a, that's a very interesting point right there. Yeah. So so it, it, they're used to smelling humans. So you're not necessarily going to get busted unless it's stronger than they're used to smelling. Well, if you employ good scent elimination tactics, then – they think, oh well, they, okay. I might they might smell you at, at some point if, you, if the wind switches on you, but it's not so strong that it alert it alerts them. Makes sense. And so you know, my group of guys that that I still hunt with, and when when I do get to hunt back there, I mean, they're 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 good at it. There's a lot of guys in that state in that area back there that are spectacular tactical bow hunters. Um, small space in and out, hunt it in the morning, get out. If the wind's not right, don't hunt it. Um, so it, it's a different way. It's a different way of hunting. You know, it's, it's suburban hunting, if you will. Right. We've been kind of exploring that whole suburban urban hunting strategy over the last couple of episodes. So it's interesting you brought that up. Mm-hmm. So you, you grew up in that area. Certainly that area has grown up a lot, but now it's, you've got more housing developments, more funnels, so to speak. Yep. And, it sounds like you spend more of your time in the Midwest. Um, and so you, it's a big transition coming from New Hampshire to live out there. What's, what were the biggest challenges? Well, for, for me, you know, it, growing up in New, in New Hampshire and where the deer densities are low. And then when I was growing up, were were almost non-existent. I, I mean, I remember getting excited about seeing a track back when I was in in high school and in early college, right? Uh, it's not like that today. You can go hunt and you can see deer and, and it's, it's pretty good. But when I, like I mentioned earlier, I had the opportunity to go to Kansas, right? So I yes. go from the desert to, to this right. <laughs> incredibly rich ecosystem of deer, right? And I didn't really understand deer until I could watch a lot of deer. And I think that's mm. the advantage of a Midwest bow hunter right there. Okay. Is they can they they understand deer body language. I had to learn that. Um, the first time I crashed, uh, you know, a set of rattling antlers together in Kansas, and had you know a hundred and eighty inch deer turn and run to me full steam and stop at twenty yards. 
I still had the rattling antlers in my hand. I didn't know what to do. I was so freaked out. <laughs> yeah. All right. And I never got a shot at that deer. See, now that's, and, and that's, that's what I think I would do yeah. to be honest. And, and, and that's, that's the kind of learning curve that, you know, when you're from away, you, you've got to get into that. You got to understand deer. And, you know, I've been afforded with, with the jobs that I've had, I've been afforded the, the, the great, um, uh, you know, benefit of, of hunting just awesome, awesome spots. And, and I never stop learning, I never stop learning about deer and, and, uh, getting busted by a deer can teach you to- so much, not to mention, make you humble. Um, Absolutely. and, and, uh, so that was probably one of the biggest things I had to do is, is get, um, get educated to deer. That, that's something that's often overlooked that uh if you're not educated to deer you know you, you, your success rates it's it's lower is that something you would agree with craig oh oh absolutely yeah you're you're gonna move at the wrong time you're gonna hunt stands in the wrong wind you're going to take the wrong route into your into your stand um you know thinking you might be doing the right thing but the only way you really know if you're doing the right thing is is time on that stand to find out where the deer are coming from and then make sure that you're, you're approaching it from the right direction. Mm. Um, exiting a stand, things like that. Um, so yeah, the, the more you can know about, about your quarry, the, the more successful you're going to be. And, and for me, that lesson came, came late in my life, but, but, uh, it's awesome. Learn every year. How, how long, how, <clears throat> how many seasons did it take for you to to really be settled in with some deer education. Can you give us a rough estimate? I lived in Kansas for five years and first year I didn't know. I'll honestly say I, I at the time I looked you in the eye and told you I was a hardcore bow hunter and knew what I was doing. Um, you know, it took me three to four years before I fully understood deer, deer behavior, deer body language, um, and and um it started killing some some decent deer out there and and that hooked your hunt to the next level i'm sure it ab- absolutely did yep absolutely did and and uh you know in that case taught me all about about scent elimination you know i i mentioned that you know hunting small woodlots back east and everything that that philosophy and, and, and any success i've had doing that or my friends about doing that really carries from me being in in kansas and having to learn it and then carrying it back to the back to <laughs> those small woodlots, and, and just getting getting uh, you know like I said, just you know committed to being scent free. Gotcha. So that's that's where that came from. So were you hunting small woodlots at home before you went to Kansas, or was this something you started to hone in on after you no, got you back know, from at, Kansas? Great, great, great question. No, you know, uh, I I was before I went to Kansas, I was hunting big woods. I was okay. hunting the big woods. Yeah, and. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, like I said, deer density is low. You got to be on the move. Got to be stealthy. Got to be smart. Got to be patient. Um, and and that was in in fact due to the, the 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 deer populations in that part of the world were pretty low, but but starting to grow nicely. By the time I I moved back to New Hampshire from the Midwest, um, those deer numbers were 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 way higher than I we had ever seen before. And you could actually slip into a small piece of woods and and say, you know, uh, I'm going to go see deer tonight and actually see them um, where that wasn't necessarily the case, say, in the 90s. Right. Um, there weren't any deer there. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, Craig, what 
one of the things we like to break down is, you know, the, the gear that you use. And I'm sure that your bag is loaded with your products that you sell every day. Yep. So tell tell me about what you pack in your pack when you go into the into the woods and is it different from if you hunt New Hampshire versus hunting where you are now? Awesome question, Jay. And before I answer that answer that, I will I will you know tell you that I haven't worked for HS during a hunting season. So what's in my pack today um, is in my pack because it's what I what I count on to hunt with. So I'm not going to give you this answer because I happen to work for HS now. Um, you know, there are, there are things in my, in my pack that have been in my pack for, for 10 years uh, right. because I count on them. So, so to answer your question, um, uh, you know, my, it's, it, of course it's going to depend on, on how long I'm going to sit and, and things like that. But, but the, the essentials that I, that I have in my, in my pack are, um, I've got a knife and I've got a GPS. Okay. Okay. If I'm going big woods, I've got a knife, a, a, a compass, and a GPS, right? Right. I've usually got a map. And when I talk big woods, I'm talking, you know, I'm going to go in a couple of miles. Right. Um, and, and so from a safety standpoint, I've, I've make sure I've got those. I've got spare batteries for GPS at all, all, at all times. Um, that's my Garmin. That's my Garmin pedigree right there. I'm always going to have GPS and fresh batteries. Right. Um, you know, sharp knife always carry a sharp knife. I carry a Boker knife right now um, that I've had for a couple of years. I absolutely love it. I have, don't know anybody at Boker. I just, I love this particular knife. It's small four inch blade, um, great steel, keeps an edge. I've, I've got probably six, seven year with it and it's as sharp today as it was then. I haven't even touched it up. Awesome, awesome product. Um, always have field wipes. All right. Uh, uh, for, for cleanup after, um, after, you know, gutting a deer or whatever, or, or just general cleanup. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. <laughs> no Loud saying. and clear. There you go. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, I've got, uh, I've got a butt out in there. Yep. I've got uh, extra gloves, extra, uh, a hat, a flashlight, extra batteries. I carry a, I've got a streamlight flashlight that I really love. I've also got a surefire small light that, that I just, I think is, is spectacular. So really, really good uh, flashlight is is required. Um, if I'm going to an area where I think I need them, I've always got binoculars. Okay. Right. And 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 good binoculars, high power, small wood lots and stuff. I, I wouldn't take that along. You don't don't need the weight. Um, and then if I'm bow hunting, rangefinder, and uh, and then usually something to eat. <laughs> right. Oh, good point. Yeah, I wasn't thinking you know, about pro- that stuff. But you're right. Protein bars and and uh, I, I read a lot. So uh, I may have my Kindle with me, and I may have a book with me. If I'm going to go put an all day sit in, um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to read a book. Interesting. Okay. Yep. I've heard that before, where people take yep. a paperback with them and just be reading, and they'll oh, the buck's back there. He is, and uh, next thing you know, they're hanging in the big barn in Warner. There you go. That's, that's amazing how that kind of happens. Did you say Warner? Warner. Yep. Oh, see now I know where you hunt. Yep. <laughs> now you do. <laughs> I gave that away, didn't I? All right. Um, so that's interesting. I'd like to go on a, a deer hunt with you, Craig, uh, virtually here, if you could. And, and I'd like you to take us back in time a little bit to one of your most memorable buck hunts, if you could. And, and kind of slow it down for us a little bit. Do like a, a, a play-by-play, maybe start 
about two days before the hunt and set it up for us. And I'd like to have Dusty kind of drive the ship here and kind of walk you through that. Would you Would you be willing to take us on a deer hunt with you? Yeah, I got to got to think back to to. I've I've got a lot of memorable hunts, but um, yeah, I, I can I can work with you on 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 one. I've got one particular one that I that I shot uh, in in Wyoming it was great deer in Wyoming. Okay, excellent. Dusty, so we're going go to Wyoming. All right, let's get into a little bit about your gear setup. You say we're going to Wyoming. Tell us what 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 was you hunting with when you was in Wyoming on this particular hunt. So it was uh, when I was with Thompson Center, and um, and I had my uh, uh, Triumph bone collector muzzle loader. Okay, so we're using a muzzle loader. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yep, I was shooting um, uh, ninety grains of uh, blackhorn. I'm sorry, hundred grains of blackhorn two hundred nine powder. Spectacular product right there. Um, and uh, shooting a two hundred and fifty grain shockwave bullet. Nice. Um, my my muzzle loader has a, a, a Nikon scope on top, and um, I've got it marked. I know I went and printed out um, exactly how that reticle reads. I spent a lot of time at the at the um, range with this, and so on the stock of my gun, you can look down, and it has a picture of of the different reticles in in the. Uh, uh, it's a the BDC reticle by Nikon, and so I know based on the ranges where I have to hold. No kidding. So um, you know, I, I'm not obsessive about it, but you know what, guys, if, if you're going to go out and hunt good deer, good quality deer, and if you're going to go pay to do it, you darn well better know how your equipment performs. Absolutely, couldn't agree more to that. What so, year are we going back to? Oh, this would have been 2011, 2011. Yeah, perfect. 2011, we're going on a muzzleloader hunt. Tell us a little bit about your camo. Um, you know, pretty much wearing um, at that point is one of those, one of those times we all dread this where you're out there, you want that crisp cold and what you get is really kind of hot midday. Um, Realtree, you know, was what I was wearing for a pattern. Um, at that point, wearing some Under Armour, um, uh, you know, I had both cold weather and, and warm weather stuff because we were also doing some pronghorn uh, hunting while we were there. And so um, I had to, this particular area, I don't want to get ahead, but this particular area was river bottom and it okay. was still green where everything around it was brown. Nice. So See, I blended in, blended in pretty well. Very well. So we're going back to 2011. We're on a muzzler hunt. Let's get into 48 hours before you squeeze the trigger. Can you yep. take us there? Absolutely. So 48 hours before we we were as as what's customary when you when you're hunting those river bottoms. It's, it's just so awesome for a kid from New Hampshire to go do this. But you'll get on a high bluff and you'll start glassing, and your optics are critical. And, and you're just looking for, obviously, good deer, good mature deer. But then where are they coming in from? And you're observing what the wind's doing. And so 48 hours ahead, we had been, um, we had been way high on a bluff, overlooking probably five miles of river bottom, you know, between the couple of vantage points we had. And, and trying to pick out what we felt were the best areas for opportunity and the, and the best deer within those areas um 
So yeah, we did a lot of did did a little hunting forty eight hours prior, but we mostly did a lot of looking. Mm. So when when you say looking, are you you're looking from a high vantage point mm-hmm. down into the, along the river bottoms? Into the river bottoms, yep. And gotcha. that particular that particular part of the world has you know great river bottoms with uh, bordered by a lot of alfalfa fields. Uh, okay, and so the, you can you can see for a long distance. See a long distance. I mean, it, it's very common to look into a field and see forty deer in the field. That's just that's just very common. Okay, and that's an excellent view from said binoculars. I'll tell you that it is very cool. But you know, think about that from a challenge standpoint and a wind standpoint. That's you know, forty sets of eyes and forty of the of the keenest noses in the woods. So absolutely, a lot a lot of challenge added there. So, so where, where do you go after you, you, you found the buck that you want to try to get in on? Where do you go from there? Yeah, so <laughs> this, this was what made it memorable. It was, it was, it was pretty cool. We had, we had seen this particular alfalfa field. We noticed that there were deer filtering in from one set of one end of the field. Um, and it was pretty long. It was probably 400, 450 yards uh, long. And at the other end, the opposite end from where the deer were coming in, there were, um, I'll say hay bales, but they were the big round bales, if you will. Right, right. And there was a huge stack of them in a pyramid shape um, that went on for 75, 80 yards. So let's say there were three on the three rolls on the bottom, two stacked on top of it, and then one that sat on top of, of the two. And, and, made a made a pyramid and then there was a whole bunch of those that was probably you know oh gosh you know 40 50 yards long something like that it was, it was long what we decided to do is what if we got up onto that and let those deer filter out and and just like a sniper set up there comfortable rest shoot prone you know, this is just so perfect. You know, the deer are going to come out and fall down. They're they're just they're going to be so blown away by our intelligence, right? And so that's what we did. We we went and set up. That was twenty four hours prior to. I don't want to get ahead, Dusty. Right now, tell tell me about the hay bales. Got me interested. Tell me about how did you climb all the way to the top of the pyramid? Yep, yep. So went up to the top of the pyramid, laid on the top of these hay bales. So it's like this is like hunting from a bed. It was it was awesome, and and, and I and I just mentioned a minute ago that it was warm during during the midday, so right. I literally had to get up there early because the deer were f- going to filter in early, and I'm sure I scared a few away with my snoring because it was probably the most comfortable deer deer stand I've ever had. Right, absolutely. Yep. Like like a it's like a king size mattress if you're laying on top of a round. Yeah, bed. it was awesome. That's fantastic. It was, it was terrific. Yep. So, so yep. we're up on these round bales, and uh, and this is say this is what twenty four hours before. Yes, yep. This is the, the night before. Yep. And tell tell us how that day finished out. So I, I sat and watched these deer filter in from you know four hundred fifty yards away, walk feed right up the middle of this field and come by the the bottom of that pile of of hay that I was I was laying on top of, and with the wind direction the way it was there wasn't a chance that any of them were going to were going to see me and this was so perfect gosh i'm 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 just the smartest deer hunter in the world and look at me i'm i'm great right um no big deer showed so i watched 50 or 60 deer parade by me young bucks does no shooter bucks except right at dark i start to see big bodies come out of the far end 
and they were at least an hour later than they had been the night before. And so that had me worried too dark and too far for me to shoot. Um, and so I just basically had to get down off of this hay bale and, um, do my best to get out of the field without being busted. Gotcha. Right. So, so how, how do you do that? You're out in, a, in the middle of a field. How do you get, uh, sneak out of that? Uh, you sneak out to the sounds of deer blowing and snorting as they run away from you. <laughs> you know as so well you, as I do. Right. So you don't get out. Curious of that. if you made it out without getting busted. Right. Well, I was I, I was doing that kind of that stalking walk, but they no totally were on to me. Now, man, you, you know it was funny is is when you go out in the dark. I, I let it get real dark, and and um, I walked out, and you'd be amazed in the dark what you can get away with. Um, the wind was right. I didn't get. I, they couldn't smell me, so I didn't get blown at until I got way beyond them, and then my my scent was back on onto the field. But you know, I had deer that would just stand and watch me at twenty twenty five yards. No kidding. And as long as I I did, I had my arms in tight, I had my head down low, and I was kind of checking them out out of my peripheral vision. They didn't necessarily care about me. Hmm. I, I wasn't a threat. I was walking away from them, and uh, I wasn't doing anything that was was um, you know garnering too much attention. And they couldn't smell me. And I think that was probably the most uh, you know forgiving thing is that they couldn't smell me. Right. Like I said, eventually when I hit the road, hit the the, the little farm road, in the wind, I got I got upwind of them. Then then they were on me, and and the blowing started. At that point, you was free and clear and just let it settle back down. Yep. So the next morning, we get up. What time we get up the next morning to head out? Well, next morning, we're, we're up real early and and went out and, and scouted some bluffs, looked at, put a stock on deer in, in the bottoms, uh, you know, crusty, frozen morning, awesome hunt. Um, you see lots of deer out there and, and that that's really cool, but just didn't see any, any shooters, really weren't weren't any shooters that I was looking for. And, um, and as it got warm towards the midday, I knew that chances are I was going to go back to that hay bale. Um, and it was the deer that I had seen the night before that drew me back there. And it was also the fact that it was just a cool place to be sitting and watching deer. Absolutely. Yep. So you get back to the hay bale. What, what, what time are we talking during the day did you get back to the hay? So get back to the hay about 2.30. So we're on the hay at 2.30. So, mm-hmm. right. so we're in the afternoon at this point. Got it. Yep. Is, it, is, it, is it nap 30 or is it deer 30? <laughs> no, I've already had my nap back at camp. <laughs> <laughs> but, but here's the thing is I, I get in there and I get to the hay bale and I go, uh-oh, we got a wrong wind direction. Uh. If I if I get up on this, onto this um, onto this hay bale, if the wind maintains its direction, I'm going to have it coming right past my shoulder and out into the field. Hmm. Obviously, that's not going to work. So I'm thinking, what what do I got going on? Um, you know, I, I I know I can't leave because I, I was I was entertaining a lot of outdoor writers at the time, and uh, I. I I was the last one to um, get dropped off because I dropped all the outdoor writers off and went and sat in this place. And I thought, so I'm stuck here today. I'm not going to go find somewhere else. I don't want to mess anybody else's hunt up. So it is what it is. But this wind is not going to work for me. Right. So I got down off the hay bale 
went to the far right hand side of the field, which was which was um, uh, now if I was standing on the far right hand side, the wind would be blowing left to right on my left shoulder and towards where those deer came in. And I thought, you know what? The wind is direct direction is great for the deer. They're still going to come in at that end of the field because they're going to come in with their with their nose in the wind. That's perfect. I have to get farther down. I have to be to the right of the field and I got to let them walk by me. And I just have to let all these deer filter by me all afternoon until the right one comes by. So I, I went down the right-hand side of the field. It was tall grass, tall CRP type grass. About the only thing I could find was there was a little in there that I could get down in and lay in and I bent the grass in front of me down so that I had a V slot that I could look through. And it, there was, you know, I could only see about 50 yards of, of field in front of me, but I knew every deer in that field was going to come through that. Okay. The wind was now, wind was now solidly blowing from my, my left to my right. And those deer were going to come out in front of me from the right. This don't sound as comfortable as the hay bales. It was not very comfortable at all. Not, not, not at all. There was no snoring going on with that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> aching knees, aching butt. Yep. Yep. Uh, and the, the, the thing is, is the deer start coming early. So, um, you're stuck, you yeah, know, you're on lockdown. You get a leg cramp. You're just going to lay there and whimper in, in silence. That's all you can do. <laughs> uh, that's so true. <laughs> so we're sitting on the ground at this point. Yep. And the deer are starting to fill around. What time is it? The first deer comes. Oh, man, 3 o'clock, 3.15. Oh, you're really locked down for a good while. Yep, and so I've, got, an, I've got two hours, solid solid two hours that I'm going to sit there. Wow, yep. so you're, you're on lockdown at 3 o'clock. Move on. What happens next? Um, they start coming, and, and I'm, I'm just trapped. And I sat there, and I probably watched between 50 and 60 deer wow. filter anywhere from 10 feet to 50 yards from me as they fed up this field. Never once looked at me, never had a, a blow or a, a glance or a head bob or anything at me that would indicate they knew I was there. And, and that was, that was kind of empowering, right? When you, when you know you've, you've fooled the smart old does. Oh yeah. And, um, and it was just a waiting game at that point. I didn't know if there was going to be any, any good bucks that, that came out. And, uh, you know, but, but I figured at that point, gosh, I, I can't be in a better spot than this right here. So all the does filter out. We're still sitting on the ground in the grass. Yep. It's dark. Getting, getting towards evening. Getting dark, getting cold. And I have a, a really spectacular eight pointer walk by. And I thought, gosh, that, that might, that might be the one, you know, and, and, and I, I'm, you know, I want to kill a mature, mature deer like the next guy. And, you know, but I don't want to just, I'd rather go home empty handed um, than to, than to put something on the ground that I wasn't sure was exactly what I wanted. And so I get sixes and eight pointers and, and this big eight comes by and I thought, man, that's got to, that could be the one that could be the one, but I watch him and we talk about body language and, and he's looking back over his shoulder. And I thought, you know what? I can't see what he's looking back at, but I bet it's bigger than him. And it's getting dark out. It's, you know, I, I look kind of to my right through the grass. I can see a rack coming, coming through the field. I can't make the body out because of the grass in front of me. 
And he comes into that opening, and I just said, that's the deer I'm after right there. Hammer comes back silent, put it right right behind the shoulder, boom, shoot, typical, you know, muzzleloader smoke yep. cloud that, that billows out. Right. And and there's a deer laying there on the ground when the smoke clears. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that that's that's awesome. I, I love what I love about hunting the most is setting the trap and and when when the right deer triggers the trap, you know, it, it's just it's as exhilarating as you can get. And I walked out as a gorgeous gorgeous deer. Not the biggest deer I've ever shot. I, it wasn't it wasn't a monster by any means, but it was it was the whole hunt from from the haystack to the wind to the hidey hole to the everything that I had going on, and there's this gorgeous eleven pointer laying there, mature deer, and and I sat there for a minute and and said a few words that I always do over over the deer that I've just been been fortunate enough to take, and and I looked up and it's now getting real dark, and I look up and there is a giant deer walking <laughs> at me in the dark. No kidding. And I'm I'm still on one knee next to this deer, and I look back down the field, and here he comes, and he is just a a giant. It still haunts me today. And he walked within twenty yards of me, and I thought, my gosh, he doesn't even know I'm here. Huh. And and I know he's got to win me by now. That deer walked in, and I and I finally I stood up from the deer that I was that I was kneeling by. And he looked, stopped and looked at me like, what are you doing here? Where'd you come from? <laughs> and just boom, turned around, went, went, ran back into the, into the woods. And he was, he was just, he was the deer of a lifetime, but you know, that alone, that's okay. That's okay. I wasn't, I wasn't disappointed about this, this gorgeous 11 pointer that I had on the ground that, 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 you know, in so many guys' lives would be a deer of a lifetime. And I was, I was blessed to be able to, to take that deer and the whole hunt, that whole Western hunt out there in that river bottom, hunting the wind, um, hunting a lot of deer. Gosh, I don't can't think of it getting any better than that. Absolutely, great story by the way. Man, That's you tremendous. Had me, had me hooked in on that one. You had me hooked for sure. So, Craig, what would the what would the Craig of today tell the Craig of twenty years ago? <laughs> Stop going to the top third of the mountain, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, I nice. wouldn't. I killed. Actually, I killed a New Hampshire buck last last fall uh, at the top of a mountain. Okay. Um, no, what would I? I guess what would I? Um, you know, uh, gosh, it's a tough question. It is a really tough question. Guy, you should have told me these ahead of time. I could have had some smart answer. Uh, it's better when you're on the spot. Right. Yeah. You know, um, be patient. Relax. Um, I think I've always been a patient hunter. Um, but I think there were times where I gave up too quickly yep. and, and it's just, just sit, relax, stop moving, slow down. And, and, you know, I, I watch kids today that are hunting and, and I have found myself saying that, um, my son and his, his buddies are all 20 years old and now like any 20 year old, they're addicted to their cell phone and, um, the, They've they've grown up in a world that that they've got appointments made for them from day one for soccer practice and, and all sorts of things and they're used to a regimented yep. go 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 lifestyle. <clears throat> I guess I wasn't as bad as that when I grew up, but boy, the advice I give to would give to myself is the same as I tell my 
my son and all his hunting buddies now is stop moving, you know, start watching and, and be patient because, um, you know, looking down at your phone and, and texting away is, is you're not going to see deer and they're going to spot you way before you ever think you're, you're going to see them. Right. Absolutely. You know? That's a great, so, great life point right there. Great hunting point. If you said you're a reader, so I assume you've read many, a, a deer hunting book. If you had to pick out one, which one was your favorite? Or which one comes to mind when I say that? I was given a book. Gosh, man, I, I wish I, I knew that, that, that. I was given a book when I was a teenager by a gentleman. Hmm. And it was it was a, and I'm sorry that I don't know the name or the author. And, and uh, very unlike me to not know that. Usually I remember these types of things. But it was a how-to deer hunting book. Okay. It was techniques. And, um, and I, and I read that and, and did some things, did some techniques in that book that, that paid off. And that was the year that I shot, uh, my first, what I would, well, it was my first buck, beautiful eight pointer that I, that I took in the lakes region in New Hampshire. And it was, it was because of some of the things I read in that book. Uh, and again, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know the, the, um, the name of it, but it stuck with me. And, and I had borrowed the book from the, the gentleman and he was going to let me read it. And after I killed that buck, he said, I suppose I'm not getting my book back. Am I, <laughs> I said, not a chance, no way. not a chance of yep. getting, getting the book back. Um, you know, I, I love, I love a lot of, I've read a lot of great books. Um, you know, a lot of bird hunting books. I love to bird hunt too. You know, Burton Spiller is a great new England, writer from from decades ago who really embodies the the quintessential new england bird hunter i I love his stuff Uh, bill tapley um those those types of authors but really the how-to stuff uh, greg miller read anything by greg miller sure greg miller's probably written seven books um you want to learn something about about deer hunting go read greg miller's books okay that's a good one right there very good Mm -hmm. um and if you if we all have these these objects these tools or things we need to bring into the woods with us to make us feel lucky to actually make us successful or you know maybe it's just a pacifier i don't know but there are some things that that i have in my pack that if i forget and i leave it in my truck it drives me insane all day if i'm in the field what's that one item for you other than a weapon <laughs> you know have you been you've been you know, in, in my head or something like that, because I was <laughs> laughing about this the other day. Do, do, do you know what a monkey fist is? Uh, it's a, it's a, you'll, you'll see them. Um, it's a ball. It's a twine ball. Okay. All right. So it's, so in this case, you'd see them on ships and things like that, where they, it's a way of storing a lot of, a lot of rope in a, in a, in a ball and they tie it in. It's called a monkey fist as well. Gotcha. Okay. I think it's so called a I, mon- monkey huh? fist, monkey fist knot, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, I know what it is. So I have <laughs> years ago, I picked up this paracord, you know, survival paracord tied in into a monkey fist okay. and it's on a carabiner. Um, and I've always thought, gosh, you know, if I get stuck overnight, I'm going to need 20 feet of, of paracord to make myself a, you know, a shelter or something sure. like that. Um, I've been carrying this thing around for, 15 years or more. 
Um, it goes pack to pack with me. And good Lord, I'm never going to get stuck overnight needing <laughs> 20 feet of power cord. But, but that stupid monkey fist goes with me everywhere I go. The, the one constant that I've had that I wouldn't know what to do if that thing wasn't there See or it. if I had to use it. I'd have to go find another one. Right. Exactly. I always felt, you know, there's always that one thing we've all got. And then that's, it's your monkey fist. What's your monkey fist? There you go. Yep. (laughs) All right. That's one of the most unique ones we've heard, Jay. It is a unique one, but I think, I think we've all got them. And sometimes we don't realize we have them because it's just always there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of other, of other great things that I have. And I won't belabor the fact, but, but, uh, I was given a a, um, a rifle, a 243 win rifle, um, by a gentleman by the name of of Chuck Orleans in New Hampshire. And um, Chuck is, is from a great hunting family and and uh, has killed a ton of bucks. And he is a quintessential deer hunter. Um, he's got the record book muzzleloader. If you look it up, um, okay. uh, he's got it's a 181. 100 scores on 181, I believe, and change out of uh, southern New Hampshire. Wow. Um, but Chuck was was one guy in my life that that um, my my parents didn't hunt, didn't have anything against it, just didn't do it. Um, that uh, and and Chuck uh, at the time had kids that were were living away in a, in a broken family and didn't get to see him. So I became his surrogate son. Um, he took me under his wing and, and taught me to hunt and. So, so when I was a young man, I, 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 my, my parents didn't hunt. They, they didn't have anything against it. They just didn't, they didn't hunt and really taught me a lot about hunting, fly fishing and, and everything. And he, he gave me a, a 243, a custom made 243. And, you know, I say custom, you know, it's, it's, it's not a collector's piece by any means, but certainly has a lot of sentimental value. And I went on to, to kill an awful lot of deer with that rifle. You know, owe, owe a debt of gratitude to, to Chuck for really um, inspiring me to, to to keep hunting and fishing and, and make it a part of my life. And really special. He's a he's a great guy, a great hunter. Uh, cheers to Chuck. We all need a Chuck in our life, that's for sure. Yeah. So he, And he also killed one heck of a, of a muzzleloader buck. I will look so that up. I want to. Hey, I'm going to check that and and see what that one's all about. Now, he'd be an interesting person to talk to. Sounds like he's uh, he's quite an educator. Yeah, he's a, he's a he's a neat guy. He's been in, in failing health in recent years, but that hasn't really stopped him from getting out and doing as much hunting as he can. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, Craig, this uh, we are beyond our hour, and I, I I had a sense that that was probably going to happen. We had lots to talk about once we get into the deer story. So. Um, I, I want to thank you for joining us and it's been an honor and an absolute pleasure. You're a fantastic storyteller, by the way. I don't know if you know thank that, you. but yeah, you, you, you definitely uh, know how to capture an audience. So I appreciate that. And I think you probably uh, put you in the right, right position at Hunter Specialties, knowing that you know how to capture an audience, which is what it's all about, really. Well, thank you guys, man. I, I really appreciate it. And anytime and anytime you want insight or, or perspective on the industry, just, just, reach out to me, man. I'd I'd love to talk with you and the listeners. I would love that. And we will definitely follow up, but thanks for joining us on the big buck deer hunting podcast. Thank you guys. So I'd say Craig's a pretty good storyteller, wouldn't you? Absolutely. I love the hay bale story. Oh, what a phenomenal story. Could you imagine that, uh, the hay bale would work like that and what you can do with that? Right. And that sometimes, you know, he, he adapted to his situation Realized the wind wasn't blowing right and found a new location. 
That's all just part of hunting. Yeah. Shot a big buck and then realized that there were other big bucks in the area and he wished he had waited. But that's hunting. That's the way it goes. But that, it's just, a, you know, he gave us a lot of good insight into kind of how he hunts in New Hampshire. Um, the, the, the map layout that he's looking for, hunting in between housing developments, not something I, I would have necessarily thought about. But that's the way he approaches it in certain areas of the country. And then he has new tactics and new stuff in his bag when he moves out to the Midwest. Of course, all of it, or most of it, is a hunter specialty product. Um, so it's just fascinating to hear about the, the, the company itself and hear how he approaches hunting after he's been able to adapt to different areas. Just really good tips. Yeah, I, I think that's what drives most hunters, Jay, to hunt different states because of the, the, the different terrain, the different techniques. You know, it's not the same old routine every every day in, day out. I agree. And it's it's just interesting when you have that abilities or you have that ability to actually make that happen. I think that's very cool. So thank you to Craig Cushman for joining us on the Big Buck Podcast. Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines tip of the week? We do have Chubby Tines tip of the week. All right, lay it on me. You know, it's a... Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about cold weather. Just just something that that I, I work with with cold weather, and and it may just be that little tip that that helps you stay out there that extra half hour that you, you need to maybe to to get the kill shot in. We 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 get into a lot of you know cold hands, cold feet discussions. Yeah. Well, you know, it, I take and, and wrap blankets around my feet up in the tree stand. Interesting. So you bring a special one with you. Absolutely. It's camouflage. It's uh, almost like a comforter blanket, but mm. I, I've actually cut it in half and sewed it, just hand stitch, where you can wrap that thing around your feet, Jay, mm. and, and just slide your feet down into it to keep that cold chill off your actual hunting boots. And the great thing is it's a, a thick enough material and soft enough material like a comforter that there there's no sound if you need to stand up. Right. If you need to stand up, make that bow shot, or if you need to move your feet a little bit, just adjust to... Maybe your leg's going to sleep from setting, but there, there's really no noise there. And, and, and it's that barrier from the actual cold elements just pounding on your boots, turning your whole boot cold. That's a good tip, man. And you, it works, separates the, gives you that, that edge that you need. Yeah, it's, it's just a little barrier that your actual body heat can, can keep your boots warm enough to make it where you're able to sit out there long enough to complete the hunt. Very nice, man. Very, very cool. Well, Dusty, how can we find you when you're not here on the mic with me? Oh, you want to shoot me an email, Dusty at BigBuckRegistry.com. You can look me up on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Gobbler, Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. And you can also look me up on Instagram at Chasing Antler. Jay, how can people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Well, the best way is shoot me an email, Jay at BigBuckRegistry.com. And you can always reach Dusty, Dusty at BigBuckRegistry.com. If you'd like to show off your photo of a big buck that you just shot, best place to go is BigBuckRegistry.com forward slash my buck. And all the instructions will be right there for you. If you are listening to this show and you have an Apple phone or Apple device, please, please, please do a search in your podcast app for Big Buck Registry and leave us a review, a five star if you love the show. And if you'd like to download the app for listening to this show on an Apple device separate from the the native podcast player, you can go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash app. And again, if you love this show enough and you have a few extra dollars, please visit big, bigbuckregistry.com forward slash donate or bigbuckregistry.com forward slash pledge. 
and you can just pledge your support for this show. Well, Dusty, this is another great show. Thank you to Craig Cushman. I'm Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. See you next week. Can't wait. Can't wait.